Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel. You also find me on all the major audio podcasters and Odyssey as well. Today, my guest is Sal the Agorist. Just as always, to remind you guys, if you're watching this today, which is February 3rd, this is a live stream uh, and it'll only be available the day of. Uh, it'll go public in about a week or so. I uh, what I'll do is immediately after this, I'll put it uh, put it in like public or not public, but uh, private, unlisted, whatever. And it will only be available for my patrons during that period of time. Um, it will go like I said, it goes up a week later. It's available at patreoncom so no way Jose 2020. Uh, the lowest level is two dollars. The highest level is twenty. Um, and the highest level is the sponsors, and I read them off in every episode. Uh, my sponsors are CD McRae of the Whiskey and Tea Podcast. Great podcast, check it out. Uh, I'm one of the episodes on there. I have at SpaceCat2K, who I've had on before. Uh, he, he was a he he was a, came on for the ten dollar level perk where you got to curate an episode. So I brought him on and we talked about uh, agorism versus secession. And I kind of put verses in que- in in quotations because I I don't necessarily see them at odds in a certain sense depending on how you look at it. Um, then also have Jacob Winograd of the Daniel Three Podcast, great resource for biblical anarchy. Liberty Down Under of the, I believe he's in the Liberty Down Under podcast, but I know he's like in the, under the Liberty Gum Tree or something like that. I probably be, should be a little more professional and actually look up exactly what it is. But he's a Australian uh, Liberty podcaster. He, uh, he covers all the Australian stuff. So if you want resources for that going on, great st- stuff to check out. Uh, today we are co- doing a live, I'm starting the live reading series of New Libertarian Manifesto. And it only makes sense to bring on Sal the Agris on because he's kind of like the uh, preeminent like modern agorist of these days um you know aside from me obviously uh and uh i just finished up the live reading series of an agorist primer and i had um i had caleb brown on who's a paleo guy good stuff he's a newer channel go check him out uh, i believe faith liberty and praxis is his uh he's definitely more of a paleo type which i i liked doing that for the primer one because it just felt like it suited a, a paleo type to have that discussion and it's like paleos and agorists have a lot of uh a lot, of, a lot of crossover, but then kind of end up reaching different conclusions. So it was kind of cool doing that with him. Uh, and, you know, like I said, this New Liberty Manifesto, this is like the preeminent work of Konkin. So it makes sense to have Sal on. I'm going to do Agris Class Theory after this. And uh, I'll probably, I, I really want to get Aaron of uh, Timeline Earth just because he's like an ANCAP commie, some sort of weird mix of that. So it kind of makes sense being Class Theory and all. But we'll see. We'll see how that works out. Uh, I do want to let you guys know what's going on with Tower Gang or Tower Power Hour. On February 9th, uh, we're getting Alex Stein of Conspiracy Castle. He is absolutely hilarious. You guys should go check him out. Uh, And we just had uh, Gino Bisconte on. Uh, That was a good one. That was fun. He came in there completely sloshed. So it was was definitely a little bit of a different vibe, but we made it work, and it was a lot of fun. Um, go check out Top Lobster, uh, toplobster.com. He does a lot of, he actually does like all my art and then does all the art for Tower Power Hour. Uh, he has merch, my merch there. He has Tower Power uh, merch. He has Natural Capitalist merch, Liberty Lockdown merch, pretty much a ton of merch. Um, you know, use Jose at checkout for 10% off. And with that, let's bring on Sal. What's up, man? What's up? What's up? How are you? Doing good, doing good. You wanna? It's been a while since I've had you on. I feel like most of my uh, audience probably knows you, but if you want to give an introduction of yourself, uh, you know, because especially for this, because I'm I uh, uh, these live reading ones, these series, I, I'm hoping they're going to be more like evergreen content, you know, so to kind of last the test of time, be a resource, you know, for people going forward if they don't want to read, you know. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you'll go ahead and give an intro of yourself. Yeah, I'm Sal Mayweather. I'm on uh, all your different social media sites as Sal the Agorist or just at Sally Mayweather. Um, 
longtime libertarian anarchist turned agorist and um yeah i mean that's basically the story all right all right all right well we're doing a new libertarian manifesto uh i don't i guess you know what a good thing before we get into it especially because chapter is a little bit short the first one i don't know if i want to dig into the second chapter it's a little bit longer uh i guess if you want to give like a just a quick recap of what the the, the new libertarian manifesto what it means to agorism at whole because this is kind of in my opinion like the preeminent work although i actually would suggest for most people to start with agorist primer which i know a lot of people say the opposite but uh, I, I feel like Agris, it's a primer, and it's actually really good. Like, that was a cool thing, reading through it with uh, with Caleb. It was like, Conkin is such a concise writer, uh, especially in Agris Primer. And it's like he covers, like, basically all of libertarian, the uh, like, economic theory, foreign policy, and, like, the most concise way I could possibly even imagine being done. So, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that the primer is probably the best intro to agorism that's out there. <clears throat> um, I like it because it stresses the consistency aspect, which is like the, which is what that's what makes agorism agorism. Um, this though is, I think you're right. This is like the preeminent um, agorist text here because this really lays out how we move from tyranny to a free society in a way that, like you know. How many like times like a day do we see libertarians fighting over strategy? Well, like this book lays out the the, the way to do it, and that's yeah. or at least the way that we agorists think that it should be done. Yeah, and honestly, probably my I know maybe this might not be the 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 best thing, but probably my favorite part of the book is the end. And and by what I mean by the end is uh, all the different responses, especially the Rothbard interaction. I'll be honest. Okay, I don't even really care so much about the other people's like retorts to some of his stuff, but the Rothbard Konkin uh, little debate there is is great. Like because uh, he he sends out letters to the uh, different you know preeminent libertarians of the time to kind of get their feedback, and then he has a back and forth with with, with uh, Rothbard, and that's great. Well, this is only one of their back and forth. They all they yeah. would like go back and forth in, in libertarian journals and, and like the libertarian forum back in like the seventies and stuff. Those debates were actually I think even like better because this is really just Rothbard's response to NLM. The Rothbard didn't understand it. <clears throat> yeah, like I think it's pretty obvious from his response. He didn't really get the whole like he sort of just brushed it off like oh here's these new group of new libertarians like well, forget about what they say and like that's sort of like the impression that you get you can sort of tell he didn't really grasp mm -hmm. the, the 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 consequences of a logically consistent approach to his own ideas that's why sam said we're actually more rothbardian than rothbard yeah no it, it is great because it is like I know I've, I've had this discussion and a really good resource for people. Uh, I had this discussion with uh, Jared from, uh, I think his, his Twitter is at and democracy and he has hopian.org. And we, I, we did this talk about it and like, cause, and he kind of gave the critiques that most people have, like most smart people. I'm not even saying he's being disingenuous. Cause I, I can kind of see some, I can understand some of where people's critiques come from, but I think it's a matter of that. Just that may not even, maybe it's not the best way to put it. They didn't, they didn't really entirely grasp it. And maybe I didn't entirely grasp it. Maybe they're right. Who knows? But, uh, you know, because it's like there are a lot of people have critiques, and, and but I think they are kind of missing the point of some of the stuff he gets at. Like, for example, he gets the accusation a lot of being like very egalitarian, where it's like he's more make he's made, he kind of makes the point that like, no, this will make things more egalitarian, but we're not striving for perfect egalitarianism. Like, that's not what we're going for necessarily. There'll still be hierarchy, right. you know? 
Right, right. And that's um, a lot of that, frankly, just comes from naivete. That's really what it is. And like Per Bylan has a great book on that called Seeing the Unseen and the Unrealized. Per Bylan, by the way, is one of the most underrated agorist thinkers out there. But he really goes into all that. And he explains why, how that's all bullshit. And like the other thing that a lot of those folks say is like hierarchy. Like how come you crazy agorists don't believe in hierarchy? It's not that we don't believe in hierarchy. We just think that <clears throat> in a truly free society – it would be much less hierarchical, right? Because yeah. there would be more opportunity for entrepreneurs and there would be much more horizontal distribution of wealth that would just yeah. occur naturally. It wouldn't be this sort of tiered thing where it's like you have the political class up top and the rest of us yeah. down here. Yeah, and, he, and I wouldn't even say Konkin is like, because a lot of people point out that like we always joke and say wage slaves, like partially joking. And it's not even that he's necessarily against that per se. He's just saying there'd be way <clears> far <throat> less of it. And it, and if anything, it would probably slowly die out because uh, he makes the point that an entrepreneurial society would be far better. You know, like you can you can set up these structures in an entrepreneurial sense. Like they don't have to be in that way. But there would still be probably institutions that are, that, you know, that in a free society, they would have that. It just they probably would die out by uh, other institutions that are doing it in a more entrepreneurial sense and beat out the the old timers, if you will. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And also, you know, to engage in agorism, you have to be an entrepreneur. So yeah. like if you like like a lot of times people think that agorism is breaking the law. That's not that that's illegalism, which is sort of closely related. That's another sort of anarchist philosophy. It's only becomes agorism when you combine it with some entrepreneurial aspect, right? That's what sort of make, makes it so disruptive. Look at what Cody Wilson did. Look at what what Ross Ulbricht did, right? Look at what um, Satoshi and Erwin um, Schiff and all these great people. They, they all did it from an entrepreneurial perspective. Um, and that's what I try to do at 3dprintergobird.com and, and my and my different, you know, ventures. I think that's what a lot of agorists are trying to do. And yeah. the, other, the other benefit, too, is that you sort of – I don't want to say it's like – so it may, you you have more control. It's You're more equipped to minimize your tax burden when you work mm -hmm. for yourself than when, you get, when you're getting like a 1040 in the mail. Yeah. Uh, I do want to stress because uh, all I'll be able to do point out with um, – God, I already forgot his name. Ross Ulbricht. Uh, I wouldn't say he was a bad agorist, but also people a lot of times get a takeaway of like, look at him, he spent his life in jail. And to some extent, like he may have made a, may, may have miscalculated things a little bit because the idea is not to get thrown in jail uh, or, or maybe his subjective value was different because maybe he valued what he was bringing to the world and understood the risk because part of Konk and Singh was that, and we go over this in pr the primer, he has the whole, you know, calculation of it. Uh, it's kind of weighing risk and reward. And, you know, ideally, you know what the risk will be. But to be fair, he also did get railroaded, and he probably was like, what the fuck? Like, they completely came out of nowhere, way overdid it. So they probably – pretty hard for him to calculate that into his risk assessment. Well, so. it's like that's, that's what makes us different than the sovereign citizens, whereas, like, the sovereign citizens are openly in your face defiant. We, we believe in using operational security, <clears throat> which really nowadays it really comes down to, like, crypto anarchism and the tools provided by the crypto anarchists. And Ross – back then had like one or two little holes in his OPSEC and the feds exploited it. And then they, you know, crucified him publicly for it. But, um, you know, that didn't stop the whole concept of dark markets. There, there's, there's more dark markets today than there was in, in, in Ross's time. The only other point here is that you can't ever stop the agorist, right? Like um, even in prison, and this is sort of one of the points I try to make in my book, Anti-Politics, is that even when the, when the Thoreau makes this point in civil disobedience, it's like the only free, the only place that he says, the only place Massachusetts provides for its freer citizens is, is its prisons. Mm 
and Gandhi had the idea that like when the state does come down on you and they imprison you and they beat you, all that does is it opens up the, the masses' eyes and it helps them see the brutality of the state that they've been trying to mask and hide. Right? All of a sudden, that brutality becomes exposed. So now, how many people in America can see Ross suffering in prison unjustly? And how many people has that woken up? So even in prison, Ross is still waking people up. That's why I said you can't ever... You can't beat the civil disobedient. You can't stop a nonviolent resistor. He only becomes stronger with the more you oppress him. Yeah, and if we get to the the, the right phase of the uh, of the agorist revolution, we'll, we'll we'll go all alongside night and break him or break him. Oh, out. dude, <laughs> I've had I've had people like tell me like, man, we should just get a bulldozer and like, I'm like yeah. For, yet, I always say this all the time. Alongside night, go check that. It's the it's it's the greatest piece of like fiction that is you know really does a good job of uh you know highlighting it and and i a lot of people like ayn rand books i'm not i ran i read fountainhead and i wasn't a huge fan because it was fiction but it felt like fiction beating trying like really striving to beat your head over with a point whereas alongside night was actually in my opinion an enjoyable story that also had theory behind it if you really thought about it and you know yeah we said that this is sort of like the premiere text and it is and we like in, in agora's primer is definitely a better book to start with but i think alongside night sort of like lays out the whole process for you um in like a in like a real life version and Konkin and and uh, neil wrote that book while they were traveling across country like they they came up with it together and neil was the science fiction writer because he liked Heinlein, and Konkin would sort of fact check it for against his theory so that that might even be a better place to start yeah, it depends on your taste. I'm not a yeah. huge nonfiction guy or a fiction guy, but I loved Alongside Night. Especially, yeah. I would suggest people out there, the audiobook version is amazing. Like, super well narrated. Like, because I really, I hate, uh, like, most fiction audiobooks I hate because they're always, a lot of times they don't do a very good job of narrating, but they did a very good job on, like, switching up voices and, you know, making it entertaining. Whereas, you know, like, most audio. They also made it into, um, they also made it into a real shitty movie. <laughs> um, with Kevin Sorbo that you can watch for free online somewhere. And it's funny because now Kevin Sorbo is like a big right-wing guy. So it's like maybe he's yeah. actually an agorist. Who knows? He's, he's hit or miss, you know. Like, he, 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 I don't know. I've seen some good takes from him. Um, all right, let's get into it. Well, we're, this is um, – and feel free to stop me at any point because like, while this is live reading, it's also like we're, we're – this will be a jumping-off point for discussions as we go. Um, this is uh, the first chapter, Statism, Our Condition. We are coerced by our fellow human beings. Since they have the ability to choose to do otherwise, our condition need not be this. Coercion is immoral, inefficient, and unnecessary for human life and fulfillment. Those who wish to supine as their neighbors prey on them are free, to, free so to choose. This manifesto is for those who choose otherwise to fight back. Um, right there. I don't, I don't know if you have anything to add. I, I mean, I, there's already good stuff there. I do like how he kind of touches on uh, – because I do think there's an issue even among libertarians that we – we we have these ideas, but we don't really put them into practice. And it's kind of like, I mean, why not? Like, <laughs> why do you have this idea that oh, this is illegal, so so I shouldn't do it or or whatever, you know? Yeah, this is one of the best openings to any libertarian book that you're going to hear. Um, this is right up there with Anatomy of the State, in my opinion. <clears throat> um, the way he starts this. All right, to combat coercion, one must understand it. More important, one must understand what one is fighting for as much as one is fighting against. Blind reaction goes in all directions negative to the source of oppression and disperses opportunity. 
Pursuit of a common goal focuses the opponents and allows formation of coherent strategy and tactics. I like that line, blind reaction. That reminds me of like what most protests are. That's kind of what brings to mind. It's and I, I'm always go back and forth on the utility of protests in general, but um, it, it just kind of comes off as like, well, we're gonna do something and we're rah rah rah, and it's like you're you're just you're just reacting. That's all you're doing. You're not really actually making a meaningful difference i mean yeah maybe you might like wake up a few minds here and there i mean i don't, I don't even know I, I i go back and forth in my head on like the question of protests but i don't know if that that paragraph brought anything to your mind or not so no no not necessarily no i think yeah. he's just sort of like he's he's sort of building the case right now he's just sort yeah. of like getting you to the point where he's about to, he's, he's about to hit you he's about to drop the bomb on you yeah diffuse coercion is optimally handled by local immediate self-defense Though the market may develop larger scale businesses for protection and restoration, random threats of violence can only be dealt with on the spot ad hoc. Uh, anything to add to that one? Yeah, well, that's um, that's sort of key right there because it's like, you know, self-defense is something that should be handled locally. In other words, it should be handled by you, not by another entity if possible. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Organ organized coercion requires organized opposition. An excellent case has been made many times by many thinkers that such organizations should remain skeletal at best, fleshing out only for actual confrontation in order to prevent perversion of the defenders into an agency of aggression. Institutional coercion developed over the millennia with roots of mysticism and delusion planted deep in the victim's thinking requires a grand strategy and a cataclysmic point of historical singularity. Revolution. All right, there's a good amount there. I do like you brought up the skeletal point because I mean that's one big point. Uh, uh, people always just oh you're just gonna you're just gonna go grow grow I don't know fucking you know rutabagas in your backyard or whatever and that you're gonna no no the whole idea is you're creating it literally a network of entrepreneurs. So yeah 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 and I think um, you know I think he really hit, he he hits the nail on the head here sort of concisely like the only response to institutional coercion is revolution that is sort of like the answer like if you get sick you take medicine like if you have institutional coercion you need a revolution it's the only thing you can stop that such an institute of coercion centralizing immorality directing theft and murder and coordinating oppression on a scale inconceivable by random criminality exists it is the mob of mobs, gang of gangs, conspiracy of conspiracies. It has murdered more people in a few recent years than all the deaths in history before that time. It has diluted for its survival more minds in a few recent years than all the irrationality in history to that time. Our enemy, the state. Yeah, I like that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is sort of like this is like where he's hitting you with it now. And this is actually, um, if you read the description for anti politics on Amazon, this is where I got a lot of that from. Was from like this paragraph. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I do love like going through because I've been doing a lot of theory, a lot of like I've been doing my Anarchist Handbook episodes, and then I did live reading. It is always great how evergreen and timeless these things are because it's like, I mean, the it almost like rings more true all this stuff as time goes on. I mean, I guess that makes sense because the state it's the evidence worse. of a good theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> in the 20th century alone, war has murdered more than all previous deaths. Taxes and inflation have stolen more than all wealth previously produced, and the political lies, propaganda, and above all, education have twisted more minds than all the superstition prior. Yet through all the deliberate confusion and obfuscation, the threat of reason has developed fibers of resistance to be woven into, th into the rope of execution for the state. Libertarianism. 
<laughs> like the end yeah. of the year. Big L to be clear for people, but you you would never suspect a chemist to have such a like a poetic way with words, though, right? Yeah, I, I did like uh, you brought up the education point because it is the the biggest thing. I uh, I've been reading multiple times over to get prepared for whenever I finally get Tommy Salmons on for my Volterine de Claire uh, anarchist episode, and that's one of the big points in that 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 one is that one of the first things they did was institute the state to have the uh, the like after the revolution was to have the purview over education. And that was our first undoing. Not, not that if they hadn't, it would have imagined <clears> fixed <throat> it. It would have maybe taken a different form or eventually gotten it anyways. But like it was from the moment yeah. it was fucked. <laughs> yeah. And of course, of course, Conkin puts it in quotes correctly here. But yeah. Rothbard writes about this in Education Free and Compulsory. And he traces it all the way back to the Calvinist and shows how they like fucked it all up. But yeah, Conkin is right because it's not education. It's education, right? You should be, you yeah. should be using air quotes here. It's more like indoctrination. Yes. Um where the state divides and conquers its opposition, libertarianism unites and liberates. Where, where the state beclouds, libertarianism clarifies. Where the state conceals, libertarianism uncovers. Where the state pardons, libertarianism accuses. Libertarianism. Is, oh, good. Yeah. Sorry. This that that's key right there. That's like absolutely key because I think a lot of people don't get that. Um, sorry to interrupt you, but like people no, don't no, understand that because whenever I see a libertarian agreeing with the state. Like, no matter what, like, you know, I don't care if the state tells me that the sky is blue. I need to go outside and check. If they tell me the sky is blue, I assume it's any color in the rainbow other than blue. And when I see libertarians agreeing with them, even on stupid, minuscule stuff, it's like, hey, maybe we should stop and think about where we're, you know, about where we're getting these ideas from. And, like, that is true of any idea. If you ever agree with the government, always question yourself. Yeah. Oh, did you see? I mean, I know I, I'm trying to make these things more timeless, but this is a current event thing. But it's a perfect example. Um, I don't know if you saw it was I just saw it on Twitter just like an hour ago. There was a and it was a big thing that's gone viral. There was some uh, journalist that was questioning. I forget who exactly it was, but it was some uh, some guy coming out with uh, talking about the whole Ukraine Russia situation. Right yes, now. I saw that. And, yes. Oh, God, that was so great. And like he kept he was kind of like, well, you know, the the uh, I forget what word he used, but he was kind of like a our intel provided or whatever. And then he was like, okay, well, what intel? And he's like, well, this declassified intel. And you're like, declassified intel? So, okay, so where is it? And he's like, well, this is it. And you're like, what do you mean this is it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah. you, the, the mouthpiece telling me? Like, like you don't have any, like, documents, nothing? Like, you're like, well, we got to protect... He's, like, he's like, like, what evidence do you have? And he's like, I'm telling you right now that this happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you just murdered 10 women and children. Your word is not sufficient to justify that murder. And it's like it's ridiculous when people put because when people do that, but it's this has been going on for forever. This happens all the time. This happens especially in the foreign policy realm. It's always you know intelligence provides, and it's, they never, they almost never like give you. I mean, this was a little more transparent because he tried to be like, yeah, this is the intel, like you know, or it's declassified because you hear declassified and you assume like, oh, you have some documents to present to me or something like something of some sort of. You know, weak merit likely, but like something, and like no, just just this. But this happens like, all the time. He was like, <laughs> "This is Alex Jones level stuff," is what he said. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. Um, yeah, Holly's just going to check that out. I wish I had more info. What it is? Um, oh, do do do. Oh, I want to clarify. I said Big L Libertarian. I misread the last sentence of that the, one of the paragraphs four, and I said Big L because I thought he was actually like knocking it, but no, he was actually just referring to libertarianism in general. I I, I don't. Because he did capitalize it in here, but he's not meaning it to refer to political libertarianism. He's actually – I thought he was hammering it for a second. I, I misread the last sentence. Um, 
All right. Uh, and don't and feel free to interrupt me anytime uh, if, if something comes up. Uh, libertarianism elaborates an entire philosophy with, with one, or from one simple premises. Initiatory violence or its threat, coercion, is wrong, immoral, evil, bad, supremely impractical, etc. And it's forbid, forbidden. Nothing else is. I like how he, that, that, what he did in parentheses there. The immoral, evil, bad, supremely impractical. Because he really did a good point of pulling together a lot of people. Because I actually... Uh, I will. I usually talk in moral terms, but I, a lot of people know I take like an egoism route in a lot of realms. So, uh, but I end up with the same conclusion anyways because I think even if you look at it from like an egoism or like a or like a utilitarian perspective, you don't even necessarily have to put it in moral terms. And David Friedman's great for this too. It's just like you can just point out how it's impractical, and you can make the case because a lot of people will accuse like say utilitarianism as being bad, and you're like, well, if you really think of it through, like creating this precedent of doing this given action to individuals will is going to end badly like I, I like if you look at it on the individual level and you're like well if you take if you take this guy and you know give his organs to this many people and you're like okay, right. you, just created, you just created a precedent of murdering people for organs this isn't going to end well <laughs> right right and that, that's the that's the like the um that's the problem that the, that the utilitarians always have had to deal with and they always will have to deal with it's like if i can prove to you that it's in my it's in the, the general interest to kill you then you have to like be down with dying and that doesn't work a lot of times, you know? Yeah. And that's like, to me that I see that as like stupid utilitarianism. Cause it's like, you really can't think this a step further and see how this will go. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> um, all right. Libertarianism as developed to this point, discovered the problem and defined the solution, the state versus the market. The market is a sum of all voluntary action. If one acts non-coercively, one is part of the market. Thus did economics become part of libertarianism. Uh, like to me, I think economics basically you can damn near say it is libertarianism in a lot of regards, you know. So, like, actually, Walter Block has convinced me otherwise of this point. Like, it really should be two separate things. And what Walter Block says, or what he said to me, was that you can have, um, and there were Austrian economists who are bad people, right? Like, especially like in the age of the Nazis, like, there were some not so good Austrian economists back, back then, and um. You know, just because you know how to create a good society doesn't mean you're going to do that. If you're an evil person, you could use that knowledge to create a bad society. So if you're a good person, then yes, I think Konkin's right. But if you're a piece of shit, sorry, I don't fucking curse in your show. But if you're oh, you a bad person, then it, then, you know, maybe he maybe we can rethink that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, all, all, all curses, whatever is good. Uh, I mean, I'm literally on a comedy podcast where, where they go hard as hell. Um, I do like, I uh, did the state versus market. That's very much a Rothbardian thing, like anatomy of state. Uh, very, like you did bring up this very much echoes a lot of the same stuff. Well, that's, that's the sort of key to agorism is that it's sort of like in like in traditional political science, what they try to, what they teach you is that it's sort of like two sides to the same coin, politics and economics. But what Konkin's saying and what Agorists are saying is that these things are diametrically opposed. We're talking about, like, the difference between healthy cells and malignant cells. Like, the presence of one implies the absence of the other. <clears throat> if you think about it, all sort of, like, cooperation, like, they're, they're exactly the opposite. Like, the market is based on cooperation, whereas the, like, the, the political arena is based on coercion. And, and Konkin is, is sort of building up to the point that I get in trouble for making to people, which is that stop stop engaging in the political arena because you're, you're doing harm to, to the cause. And Konkin is about to develop that much more fully than I, uh, I could. 
Yeah, and to echo a little bit what you touched touch on there, I'll just – three words. Uh, production uh, precedes predation. So, like – and you, there's – I mean, once you understand that, you really can't even, you know, escape it. Yeah. You know? So – all right, libertarianism investigated the nature of man to explain his rights deriving from non-coercion. It immediately followed that man, woman, child, Martian, etc., had an absolute right to this life and other property and no right to the life or property of others. Thus did objective philosophy become part of libertarianism. <clears throat> libertarianism asked why society was not libertarian now and found the state, its ruling class, its camouflage, and the heroic historians striving to reveal the truth. Thus did revisionist history become part of libertarianism. Uh, yeah, psychology. That's, um, that's that that's another sort of key here because like somewhere else, I don't know, maybe it's in here. I know Conkin said if you like you take a little bit of economics, some logic, and some revisionist history, and you mix them up in a pot, and you basically have agorism. And I I don't I think a lot of times libertarians, anarchists, and, and agorists don't pay enough attention to uh, revisionist history. Because like that is like we're, 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 he already mentioned education and air quotes. Remember, that's what the hell he's talking about, right? That's the whole point. And actually, my next book is going to be about um, about it's going to be a book on revisionist history. Yeah, yeah. Once again, to echo uh, 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 Agoras Primer, he literally has probably two pages where he basically does the most concise breakdown of like every war ever, and like in not in like yeah. concise, like he, he it wasn't even like. I, I don't know. I guess it wasn't a full on breakdown, but I, it's the most concise, you know, uh, really not debatable. <laughs> like, the, the best book um, on revisionist history, if you guys are interested, check out Ralph Rako's book, Great Wars and Great Leaders. That's a book that really changed my thinking. Also, mm -hmm. in um, the lesser read back alley from the back alleys to the stars, one of Conkin's lesser read books, um, he does a little bit of revisionist history as well. Oh, and I, I do uh, some is, as well. Is, also, is that an, is an agorism thing, or is that like uh, something else? I've never heard of that. Yeah, that's that's a book that Conkin wrote that he d actually he never finished. It's incomplete, oh, okay. but um, he he it's it's mostly complete. But the last part he didn't actually finish. Um, I have some excerpts of it in anti politics, though. Huh. I, I'm gonna have to find a way to get my hand on that. If you if you send me that Kindle. later, I've never heard of that. Okay, oh, no Kindle for like cheap. Oh no, I'm uh, I'm I, I I'm I'm old school. I, I'm, is there are there book versions or no? I don't know. Maybe uh, Victor might or CoPubco might be publishing one. I don't know. Uh, okay. Um, psychology, especially as developed by Thomas Zaz as counter psychology, was embraced by libertarians seeking to free themselves from both state restraint and self imprisonment, seeking an art form to express the horror potential of the state and extrapolate the many possibilities of liberty. Libertarianism found science fiction already in the field. From the political, economic, philosophical, psychological, historical, and artistic realms, the partisans of liberty saw a whole integrating their resistance into others elsewhere, and they came together as their consciousness became aware. Thus did libertarians become a movement. Which I guess I want to take this moment to kind of touch on. Uh, a lot of people try to, uh, try to like pigeonhole what agorism is. Agorism is like basically... I mean, it's just economic action. It's more of a frame of mind in a lot of ways. So a lot of people are always like, oh, you're just going to sell weed. You're going to, you're going to grow garden, whatever. And it's like, you could do so many things. And that's the beauty of like, especially if you're comparing it to the political, it's like you have this one centralized thing and you have this one insanely decentralized concept where you're taking over every 
corner of the market possible and dominating it and and doing in integrating <laughs> our economic principles to succeed in those given arenas that you are perfectly tailored for because of your given skills. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yes, I am. I'm going to sell weed while you're going door to door and working the phone banks for Gary Johnson. And who's done more, right? I'm actually freeing people. I'm giving people the cannabis, right? I don't actually sell weed, but if I did, <laughs> that person is doing more for drug rights than the, the person working for Gary Johnson's campaign. The one thing I want to add here is um, <clears throat> he, he mentioned science fiction. And I'm not sure. I, I think a lot of one of the things I think is like not understood as well is is um, the role that sci-fi played in the development of agorism. Bob, Le or I'm sorry, um, uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Heinlein, um, Bob Heinlein, was one of my favorite authors. He is one of my favorite authors of all time. I love all of his books. Stranger in a Strange Land, um, The Moon's a Harsh Mistress is like my favorite book of all time. He is the guy who made Konkin, Konkin. Right, Conkin became a libertarian by reading Heinlein. J. Neil Shulman also became a libertarian by reading um, uh, uh, Heinlein, and he he also wrote a book called The Heinlein Interviews, and like that was really what wanted. That's what made Neil want to be a sci-fi writer, and what gave him the idea to write um, uh, uh, alongside Knight. And sci-fi gives us the ability to create these worlds where we can sort of show people what these theoretical ideas look like when they would play out in these hypothetical worlds. That's sort of the value of sci-fi. And that's why there's so much good libertarian sci-fi out there. By the way, most of that is agorism too. Yeah. All right. The libertarian movement looked around and saw the challenge everywhere. Our enemy, the state, from the ocean's depths past arid desert outposts to the distant lunar surface in every land, people, tribe, and nation, and in the individual mind. Uh, I guess I kind of touched on a lot what I was just going on there too. And just it's just you're infiltrating every 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 aspect. Um, some saw immediate alliance with other opponents of the power elite to throw the states overthrow the states' present rulers. Some saw immediate confrontation with the state's agents. Some pursued collaboration with those in power who offered less oppression in exchange for votes. And some dug in for long-term enlightenment of the populace to build and develop the movement. Everywhere, a libertarian alliance of activists sprung up. <laughs> that that paragraph right there, there's like multiple rabbit holes you could go down. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Um, notice how all of those things he spoke about, like in the footnotes, he provides the examples that he's talking about. But we can find mo like modern or present day corollaries to each one of those things. So it's like a lot of those bad ideas still are still out there. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, hell, you got. Uh, confrontation, boog boys, uh, immediate alliance with other opponents of the power elite. <laughs> read my mind. The, yeah, over overthrow the state's present rulers. Uh, I don't know who. I guess who who would you? That would be. I don't know. Maybe I, like I, Liber I, Liberty I, I, Republicans. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Like I would put that with any <laughs> political actor. Yeah, any, any whether that's the LPMC yeah. or the GOP or something like that. And like you said, the boog boys. Yeah. Um, Oh, generic LP types for pursued collaboration with those in power, like you know, kind of the old regime. I know the new regime that's coming up has different ideas. So, but the old, the old, uh, old hat types that will eventually take over again. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and then he also talks about um, the people digging in for long-term enlightenment. So, like that sort of reminds me of like the anarcho-Zionists up in New Hampshire, like the Free State Project. It's yeah. like 
you know, that's that, that's another rabbit hole we can go down as anarcho-Zionism. But <laughs> all right. The state's higher circles were not about to yield their plunder and restore property to their victims at the first sign of opposition. The first counterattack came from anti-principles already planted by the corrupt intellectual caste. Defeatism, retreatism, minarchism, collaboration, gradualism, monocentrism, and reformism, including accepting state office to improve statism. <laughs> All of these anti-principles, deviations, heresies, self-destructive, contradictory tenets, etc. will be dealt with later. Worst of all is partyarchy, the anti-concept of pursuing libertarian ends through status means, especially political parties. <laughs> yeah, and here he's dropping the gauntlet here yeah. is on like basically, and remember this is controversial to say now. You guys see how much trouble I get in like when I say this shit but like Konkin is saying this back in like the 70s and 80s. So you can imagine how much more controversial it was, right? Yeah, he's dropping his dick on the table there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, a libertarian party was the second counterattack of the state unleashed on the fledgling libertarians, first as a ludicrous oxymoron, then as an invading army. I do want to touch on that for a moment because one main point I use frequently of like why I don't think it's a good idea is I get it. You know, the current LPMC types are probably going to take over. They have a different idea. My main point is someone's going to end up taking over and all you're doing you're, the old hats are going to take back over. They're going to. Like, you, you analyze the incentive structure of this concept. It's not meant for you guys. Like, you guys who are like the good Rothbardians, whatever, that are going down the wrong route, it's not meant for you. You're not meant long for this world. They will go back to the old hats. The best thing you will do is, or the worst slash best thing you'll do is grow it for your enemies. And then what's going to happen is you're going to end up with the Robbie Suave, the Nick Sarwark types, and they're <clears> just going to be the next tools of the state. It, it, like that's their goals. Like their goal is to become, you know, the the third party or the other part of the duopoly or oh, whatever. Yeah, dude, they want to be elected like, governor. They want to be like senator and shit. Like, yeah. and there is a reason why Conkin, when he says a libertarian party was the second counterattack of the state, the term libertarian is in quotes. And you you put this much more diplomatically than than Conkin did, and I'm going to put it even less diplomatically than him. Frankly, if you're in a party. There's a good argument that you're not a libertarian. The whole concept of political liberty is a contradiction in terms. There can be no such thing as political liberty. It doesn't make any sense that whole the concept, if you close your eyes and you think about political liberty, you can't actually think about what that looks like, right? You Liberty is not something that another man gives to you because it was never his in the first place. It's something inherent within all of us that we have to claim. So the idea of a, of a political party being... Um, consistent with liberty, the principles of libertarianism is absolutely absurd and, and contradictory, and that's that's what Conkin's saying here. Yeah, well, like, I'd like to be diplomatic once again, I'd say most of the types that I'm referring to as the 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 well-meaning types that are coming in these days that are getting ready to take it over. Uh, they have this idea, or at least most of them. I'm sure maybe some of them have these other ideas of you know taking over political parties. Or, or not to give up parties, but offices, whatever, et cetera. But most of them are you legitimately think we're going to use this as a messaging tool. Like we're going to take over this concept and we're going to use this for messaging. And I'm like, I get that. But like, and you're like, here's this big thing I can use. And it's like, okay, I don't think it's going to end up working well for messaging. And I also think you're just going to end up becoming what you hate in the long run or giving it to the people that you hate in the long run. So Yeah. Yeah. And just about that, um, uh, there's a there's a little 
there's a chapter I have in uh, anti-politics called The Party Once More, which is a, a selection from Rothbard about why the LP can never be an effective messaging tool. So if you want more on that, like I know now's not the time, check out that that chapter. Yeah, I still gotta I still gotta check that out. Maybe that'll be the next once I get done with uh, these live readings in my anarchist handbook, maybe I'll, I'll touch those. I still haven't got around to reading it. So Yeah, no, you'd love it. And and, yeah. and it was actually like come before Agora's primer. So it's like yeah. the base of the base of all agorism is like the reason why the book is there. No. All right, the third counterattack was an attempt by one of the 10 richest capitalists in the United States to buy the major libertarian institutions, not just a party, and run the movement as other plutocrats run all the political parties in capitalist states. I do love how much he, he'll get into the cocktopus or coctopus or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just fun seeing. It's almost like borderline petty how hard he goes, but it's just it's fun. It's like it's I guess it's like the best uh, modern day example would be like when you see two big wigs on Twitter, like just getting really fucking, you know, nasty, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> well, he um, he really had a way with words, man. He he coined so many terms that we use today, and Coctopus was one of them. But like, yeah. you have to understand the drama that was happening back then. Like, yeah. the Coke brothers were funding yeah. all of the like LP. You can was feel the hate funding. in the words. <laughs> yeah, right. So it was like basically like Conkin versus like the Coke brothers at this point yeah. in like libertarian history because they were the ones funding the whole show. They were the ones. They were running for like vice president. They were funding everything, and like the whole, everybody thought that you could get more money into the party. And Conkin's just like, no, it's not going to work. And like this is the whole that's that's what that's what he's writing about here. Yeah, and and you know what? That's the conclusion Rothbard got to eventually. But then I know he went a little bit more right, but whatever, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, the degree of success those status counterattacks had in corrupting libertarianism led to a splintering movement, uh, uh, splintering of the movement's left. In quotes. And the despairing paralyzation of others. I guess since we just—I know we didn't finish the paragraph, but I guess I want to take a moment because this is one of the biggest critiques that that agorism gets, and I actually would say it's probably the fairest critique we get is the left-right thing. Because um, mm. and, and when I say fair, I don't mean fair in like a technical sense. I mean fair in an optics sense because a lot of people have inbuilt assumptions of what left and right mean, and then they apply it to that. And they go, well, Conkin said it was left and, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I know you've done a lot of this. I don't know if you want to touch on what he was meaning when he said left and right in that in that time. Yes, I've, I've written a lot about this. And I think like um, like the way we use left and right nowadays in like contemporary political parlance, like that's not the way Conkin is using the terms. In like the context of anarchism, left really – anarchism is a leftist doctrine in, in general – because the first, the first people who started the anarchist doctrine were all leftists. None of these people were advocates of private property rights. Um, and for that reason, like it's it sort of like the idea is that anarchism was birthed in leftism. Another aspect of this, though, is that all left anarchists throughout history have preferred like a, a nonviolent political approach. Like whether that be through education, like William Godwin thought education was the way to do it. Tolstoy had other ideas. Thoreau had other ideas, um, whatever. But all these left anarchists, the, the the one common thread was that they all rejected any sort of political uh, solution whatsoever. Yeah. So I think agorism sort of falls in that tradition um, in that same sense. Now, we don't another, – another piece of this puzzle is we have a class theory, whereas most – most other almost I think any all other factions of the libertarian movement don't right they they still they I guess they use this whole like middle upper and lower middle class that 
most people like they teach in public schools and shit like that. Our thing is, well, the Marxists were right to identify a binary class division. They just happened to get the actors incorrect. It's not the bourgeoisie versus the, pro the versus the proletariat. It's the political class versus the working class. And I think, like for those three reasons, I think um, agorism is sort of seen as leftism. And most people like think about that as in like a derogatory term. I, I embrace it. I, I embrace the, the the term. Yeah, but yeah, to summarize, like when he's meaning left, he's meaning. Uh, not utilizing the state, whereas for him, he sees right as utilizing the state. Like that's his basic uh, definition yeah. that I've gathered from readings. And, and, that, and that's the general you. definition. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So and I, I would actually I would classify myself more right in a modern sense. But that, and that's another thing. I know a lot of the uh, I, I saw it today happen to someone. They were railroading someone for for saying like something about crazy certain crazy right wingers i think it was james Lindsay or something and uh i forget who exactly it was but someone and it wasn't exactly a post-libertarian type but it was someone who that you know has a different definition in their head when they mean right and then yes. they were attacking that person and it's like you guys are using different definitions and you're smart enough to know that you're using definitions different definitions and you shouldn't be attacking them for that i understand the misconception and how that can create issues but like to some extent it's like it's a, it's a common issue where so many times most arguments are just come down to misunderstanding terms, you know. Dude, I was just you, know, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was gonna say like eighty percent of arguments are the result of of mismatching of definitions. When if people actually set out the terms before they started discussing these things, I think yeah. that they would probably reach similar conclusions much more often. Yeah, which that's a common thread through anarchism, which I've learned from the anarchist handbook. Them, I've seen so many of these lefty types that like no me wrong, they're usually shit on economics, but a lot of their stuff they're like touching on. It's just like. I, like it, it really is so much in accordance with a lot of stuff we say. And it's like, we have this left, right, or these, these different ideas where like, well, you're a socialist, you're a commie. And you're like, okay, but what are they saying? Like, what are they saying? Like try to understand their yeah. ideas and what they're saying. You know? True. True. One, one other point in defense of these early left anarchists, I don't want to get too off topic here, but like to defend a lot of these people because they are sort of um, like the early, like proto agorists, like the Tolstoy's of the world and the Thoreau's. They didn't understand economics because they existed in a pre-Misesian era, right? They didn't have Rothbard and Hayek and Mises like we do. So, like, if it wasn't for those guys, I wouldn't be able to figure out business cycle theory. Like, I would probably be a fucking commie too. Like, we all would be because we didn't yeah. – we didn't, we, nobody had these answers before these guys came up with them. So, like, in their defense, like, they can't – how much can we be – can we, like, fault them for that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I know it's silly because we look at, you know, economics today and how especially people have like an Austrian understanding and you're like, well, this is simple, like supply, demand, yeah, like, right. it, it's subjective value. Like, right. and, but then do that before Menger, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> come on. Like, yeah. Which it seems it's one of those like duh moments. Like, how did it take us millennia to like be like, get this? But like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, but for some reason, we didn't. As disillusionment, disillusionment disillusionment grew within libertarianism the disillusions sought answer to the answers to this new problem the state within as well as the state without how do we avoid being used by the state and its power elite that is they asked how can we avoid deviations from the path of liberty when we know there are more than one the market has many paths to production and consumption of a product and none are perfectly predictable so even if one tells us how to get from here statism to there, liberty how do we know that is the best way? Uh, I don't know if you have anything to add. I'll keep going if not. Um, no. Already, already some are dredging up the old strategies of movements long dead. Movements with other goals. New paths are indeed being offered back to the state. 
Betrayal, inadvertent or, inadvertent or planned, continues. It need not. While no one can predict the sequence of steps that will unerringly arrive a free society for free-willed individuals, one can eliminate in one slash all those that will not advance liberty. All right, mid-paragraph again. This is one thing I wanted to bring up because this is something that infuriates me to no end. A common uh, you know, uh, critique that people of like, you know, say especially the political types, because we're, we're talking about agorism here. And they'll say like, uh, you know, like uh, kind of the free market, like, oh, we all do our own thing, blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like, okay, but I get that, you know, like in, uh, literally that's what agorism is in, entirely advocating. But there are certain things you can say that like, hey, that one probably doesn't work. <laughs> like, are you talking about like, like a free market of like ideas in terms of, of like strategies? Yes, yes, that's a common okay. critique we always get. You're like, well, man, well, we'll try what we try, and we'll see what wins out. You're like, well, for so one, like, I'm literally advocating making the argument for you of why yours isn't. Like, so we're engaging in this free market right now. But then, in two, even then, it's like, okay, like, but there are ones that aren't going to work too. So, like, like so, like, <laughs> what Con what Conkin's saying is that look, like the like the most Conkin wants to see this done in an entrepreneurial fashion, and he's saying that the one that's most successful is going to be the one that wins, right? The one that the market wants to win is the one that's going to be successful. And he's right. But what I say to those people, my answer to that criticism is like, could you imagine telling Galileo like, all right, dude, yeah, I know that you, know, you have this new theory where you think that this, you have this logically consistent theory, Mr. Galileo, where you think that, um, you know, the sun is the center of the universe, but you know, how do you know you're right? How come it can't be like the rest of us? Why don't we have competing theories and we'll see which ones wins? It's like, no, because your theory is logically inconsistent. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't describe reality. Why should anyone listen to it? And like, that's sort of the same thing with agorism. It's like, we are the heliocentric version, right? Like they are the old geocentric model. Like we are like the new, like updated version. Like you wouldn't accept a logically inconsistent theory in the natural sciences. So why should you accept a logically inconsistent theory in the social sciences? And once you accept that position, you by process of elimination, you're left with agorism. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start that paragraph over since I did cut it mid mid. So it makes sense. Well, no one can predict the sequence of steps that will unerringly achieve a free society for free willed individuals. One can eliminate in one slash all the, those that will not advance liberty and applying the principles of the market unwaveringly map out a terrain to travel. There is no one way, one straight line graph to liberty, to be sure. But there is a family of graphs, a space filled with lines, that will take the libertarian to his goal of the free society, and that space can be described. Once the goal is fixed and the past discovered, only the action of the individual to go from here to there remains. Above all, this manifesto calls for that action. All right. And, uh, I don't know if you have anything to add to that one, because uh, the next chapter is kind of long, and so I didn't want to stop mid chapter. Well, so. he's 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 sort of he's like he's building up. Um, it's like a crescendo at this point. He's just sort of yeah. building up to his point, which um, you know we'll get into that in the next chapter. But I think he sort of hints at it here. You see that capital A in action, like that's not an accident. Like I don't know if you guys, if any, you guys are reading at home watching this, the word action is capitalized in every time he uses it, and that's because. I think he says in here or in the in the primer, like agorism is sort of like Yoda says, like do or do not, there is no try. It's like, well, it's a, sort of the same thing here. Like you can't have agorism without action. You can't have disruptive entrepreneurship without action. So like you can like sit on your ass and like talk about libertarianism. But that's not going to get you from here to there. I think that's the point that he's trying to make. 
Yeah, and then a lot of people use the political route as like, well, this is our action. It's like, well, not all actions are created equal. If you're like, I want to create create a free society, and I'm going to go murder people, and that'll somehow yeah. get you there. I'm like, well, I don't think that's right. I mean, I think we can conclude that's probably not a good way to go about it. Not <laughs> saying those are the same exact thing, but the point is there are actions that are obviously that we can make arguments or, or, or to show that that won't work. If but, you and I, if you if you and I were running a race, and I ran backwards. All right, then you hit the you ran forward, hit the finish line. I've taken an action, but not not to my not to achieve my goal. And it's sort of the same thing with political action. Yeah, you guys are acting in the same way that like you're like treading water at best. Um, so yeah, like you said, not every action is created equal. Yeah, uh, God, who was it? Uh, I mean, I, I, this obviously isn't a Vin Armani thing specifically, but I remember one time he got an argument with someone, and one of the political things online, and he said something that always stuck with me. And I, I know it comes from other places. He's like, never confuse uh, action with progress, or maybe that's not exactly how you put it, or, or like, because like just doing something, like, okay, you're doing something that's great. I guess there's an argument to be made that maybe in most cases, doing something's better than doing nothing. You know, maybe you'll get to the right spot eventually. At least you're, at least you're, you know, doing something. But at some point, you're like, okay, well, let's do like, let's maximize our efforts to the best extent possible. Like, well, what's the best thing to do, or what are not negative things to do possibly? You know, right? So, but and like and like it, that doesn't apply. Um, like the whole like it's better to like if you have not if you don't know what to do, then you should do something rather than nothing. That doesn't necessarily apply in politics. It's sort of like yeah. if you had cancer, it's better to do nothing than it is to go out and smoke a pack of cigarettes, right? So if you have yeah. tyranny, it's better to do nothing than it is to go out and, you know, campaign for office or work a phone bank or, or canvas the neighborhood. You're only reinforcing the tyrant's authority. You're only legitimizing the, t- uh, the tyrant's authority by doing that. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, we're at the end here. Uh, I don't know if you want to go ahead and drop your plugs. Uh, you know, anything you got going on right now, what you're working on? Anti-politics is the book. Um, check it out on Amazon. You can buy it from me for crypto. Just shoot me a DM. Other than that, 3D printer, go bird.com for 3D printers. You can buy with cryptocurrency to avoid accessing KYC payment platforms and Agora threads for libertarian anarchist apparel. All right, and we'll try to knock out more of these, uh, you know, depending on our schedule. See, I'll try to knock these out as quick as possible for you guys that like these. Uh, like I said, I did do the Agris Primer one, so I do. I set it up on YouTube as playlists. Uh, if you if you're an audio listener, you're just gonna have to do the work and find the specific episodes because I don't know how to set those up as playlists. But if you go to YouTube, uh, you can just go to the playlist. I do, I forgot in my intro to remind you guys. Uh, I know I do the paywall sort of. It's kind of a it's kind of a weak paywall because you have the option to watch it here, but. If you don't want to give me money, go to Odyssey because uh, it's not behind the paywall. So even in that period between, you know, when I drop it as public or private, it is available on on Odyssey. So go to Odyssey. I mean, I I would like to incentivize going to Odyssey, especially because if I ever get nuked, uh, that would be, you know, I'd like to have that 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 going on. Also, I think it's good to kind of build that up. But yeah, like I said, there's the the, the playlist for this. I'm going to make a separate playlist for this one as well, so you'll be able to easily access all of them on YouTube. Um, and yeah, with that, this is No Way Jose show. This is on YouTube, all the major audio podcatchers, Odyssey as well. You can follow me at Twitter at 2020 No Way Jose. Uh, if you want to give me money, patreon.com slash No Way Jose 2020. Like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And with that, we are out. I appreciate you coming on. We'll try to do more of these soon. So thank you, brother. Uh,